Hello and welcome to The Greatest Show on Grass, a podcast that covers the Los Angeles Rams in light of the team's history. I'm your host, Joshua Newman. Only two Los Angeles Rams have led the NFL in touchdowns. One was Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch. The other, Greg Bell. Drafted by the Bills in 1984, Bell played 10 years in the NFL, 1987 to 1989, with the Rams after being included in the October 31st, 1987 Eric Dickerson trade. He follows a long line of Rams who went to college at Notre Dame, including Jack Zilly, Jack Snow, Mike Fanning, Jerome Bettis, Todd Light, and Adam Walsh, the L.A. Rams' first head coach. After leaving Buffalo, Bell experienced a career renaissance on the natural grass of Anaheim Stadium, rushing for 1,212 yards and scoring 18 touchdowns while earning the NFL's Comeback Player of the Year award in 1988. The following year, he rushed for 1,137 yards and 15 touchdowns and was part of an Ernie Zampezi-led offense that scored more points than any Rams team had since 1950. The foundation of that offense was, of course, its line, Irv Pankey and Jackie Slater as tackles, Duval Love and Tom Newberry at guard, and Doug Smith at center. At quarterback was Jim Everett, who threw to receivers Henry Ellard and Willie Flipper Anderson. Greg Bell was the featured back in this, the second highest scoring offense in the league. Unfortunately, they were second to the 49ers, who would crush them 30-3 in the NFC Championship game before winning Super Bowl XXIV against the Denver Broncos. Unfortunately, it all went downhill from there. The Rams sank to 5-11 in 1990, 3-10 in 1991, and then... After bringing back Chuck Knox to replace John Robinson, 6-10 in 1992, 5-11 in 1993, and 4-12 in 1994, before packing up and leaving for St. Louis in Why? Did the LA Rams fall apart following the 1989 season? And how might things have ended up differently? These are just a few of the questions we'll be discussing with today's special guest, Greg Bell. I found a really interesting nugget about you uh, visiting um, uh, Jim Brown upon uh, getting to LA in, in, in 1987. Well, uh huh. Uh, there's a story Jim's of you, an interesting guy. you going over to Jim Brown's house with Rick James. Well, it's kind of funny because I lived, me and Rick lived about uh, four minutes apart uh, when I lived in Buffalo. 
this area called East uh, East Aurora, New York. Uh, so, you know, I, I a good friend of mine from high school had introduced us uh, just by chance. You know, he he, he had known Rick. He's actually Rick's best friend. His name was William Thornton. And I grew up with, uh, I call him BT, William Thornton. And uh, I grew up with him in Columbus, Ohio. So, you know, we our paths always, it's just funny how somebody you know might know someone else. And that was kind of the, the, the introduction to Rick. And the fact that, um, you know, he was there in uh, Columbus, I mean, in the Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, and BT happened to know him. Uh, BT's, his, his aunt is Nancy Wilson. Oh my so, goodness. So, you know, you get these uh, you know, yeah, you get these Grammy award winning singers and uh j- that was just how life was. But yeah. uh it was interesting enough that uh yeah, Rick took me up to to Jim's place to meet him and it, it was a pretty interesting time cuz you know, Jim is such a uh cerebral kind of guy. So to sit and talk with him about the game, about uh Kel Rosenblum, about um just a lot of the issues that, that were, you know, they're facing the game today versus, you know, we're, we're first facing the game when he played it. It was just an interesting afternoon turned into an evening. And, and the funny thing is by the end of the evening, I ended up going out. Uh, we went out to, I think it was a club called stock exchange and Mike Tyson went with us. Oh <laughs> so my. Mike had stopped up. Oh so, my you know, gosh. It's one of those kind of things where you, you meet a lot of people. That's what LA is, you know? Wow. So wait, what? I, I, how does this night end? Oh, I, I would tell you, it, it was one of those nights where uh, I could give you a long story about it, but it, it was one of those bad Mike Tyson nights with oh, him and Robin, because no. Robin, he was married with Robin at the time. Oh, my God. And uh, it was just a crazy night. <laughs> it was one of those crazy L.A. nights. But, you know, meeting Jim was a pleasure because, you know, you, you, you running backs have a like a, a running back code. Yeah. You know, we just, you know, we, we were able to talk and enjoy the times that we spend just talking about what we saw, what we did, how to play this, how to play that. And just listen to Jim talk. You know, he, you know, he, he, he you know, he liked certain style runners. He, he, you know, the one thing he liked about my running was that, you know, you know, I ran, you know, with a lot of force, he said. Yeah. And so it's one of those deals where, you know, I, did, I wasn't one of those guys who ran out of bounds or looked for the next shot. You know, every run was going to be my last run. So, you know, that was the kind of runner he was. And, and I appreciate it. You know, anytime you can get a compliment from somebody of uh, uh, Jim Brown's, uh, uh, you know, nature, you, you take it with a, a, more than a grain of salt. You said he had something to say about Carol Rosenblum. What did? Do you remember what he was? What he said about Carol? Oh yeah, he he talked about him being the best owner probably that the league had ever had. He said, "Greg, you, Carol would have enjoyed you, and you would have truly enjoyed Carol. Carol was a player's coach. You know, he, he he cared about his players first, which of course at that time for us, you know, we were always if it wasn't Eric, if it wasn't me, if it wasn't someone else, they yeah. were always." fighting on contracts for for whatever, you know, for whatever you want to look at it with John Shaw and Georgia Frontier, we were always fighting to get a contract. So it was one of those things where, you know, Carol took, he said, Carol took care of his players. And that, that was one of the things he enjoyed. And and, and he said, Carol was a, you know, he was, he was kind of like a Dr. Buss of football, you know, Dr. Buss, who I got to know, 
was that kind of a kind of an owner. You know, he cared about those players, you know, 100 percent. And so uh, and you can see it by the way he treated, you know, James Worthy, Magic Johnson, Kareem. That that was Dr. Buss's style. And like I said, I if Carroll was any if he was half of what Dr. Buss was, you know, I, I probably would have loved playing for the guy. Yeah, so very different regime uh, that you arrive uh, when you arrive uh, at the Rams on uh, Halloween, nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, the Halloween trade. Yeah, ultimately, you're you're the best uh, player the Rams get in return for Eric Dickerson uh, in eighty-seven. You play, uh, you know, a little more than two, two, a little bit in eighty-seven, and then those very great years of eighty-eight and eighty-nine. You become the comeback player of the year in 88. You uh, lead the Rams in rushing both years in the NFL in touchdowns. What was it like uh, running behind that uh, offensive line? Probably uh, very different than what it's like for Todd Gurley right now. Well, here's the thing, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm not going to take anything away from Todd, and I'm not going to take anything away from myself or, or, or Charlie White or Eric or, or Cleveland, Gary, Gash, and Green. You know, uh, we had we had undoubtedly a really great unit. You know they were coached extremely well, and you had a lot of individual individually great gifted guys: Jackie Slater, Tom Newberry, uh, Doug Smith, uh, Irv Pankey. You know that's just to kind of give you a few of the names. But these guys on their own, uh, you know they were they were a very talented group. And I think when you when you give them a running back who's going to allow and set them up, you know. I think one of the things I did, I'm not going to say better than others or fairly well, was, you know, I, I gave them an opportunity to set their blocks up. So, you know, I knew how to dip the ball in and, and bring it out if I was trying to run a sweep or, or vice versa. If I was trying to get into the A gap, I made it look like I was trying to reach, you know, e, the, e, the, the D gap Interesting. so that when I popped it back through, you know, it made their blocks easy. I think they made – we just – we were very proficient. I think all of us, we practiced hard, we played hard, we enjoyed our company, we enjoyed working together. And I think that's a, an important thing about any line and any running back. They have to enjoy and, and respect each other, and I think that's what uh, uh, our line did for all the backs who came through there. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, you don't want to take away from what I did or what Eric did, but it's kind of like what Ezekiel Smith is doing for, for Dallas right now. Yeah. We know they have a great line. But he does a great job of setting up the blocks as well. And he does a great job after the fact getting the ball into the end zone. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a joy when you have a unit that wants to play together. It's very hard for a casual fan <clears throat> like myself, people who haven't played the game, to evaluate offensive linemen and to understand what offensive linemen uh, do. It's probably the position that's hardest to evaluate on television. Um, in terms of some of these guys you played behind, uh, Panky, Slater, Newberry, Harris, Smith, how are we to understand them individually? Well, I, I think if you're going to look at the past, you've got to look at both Jackie and Pank were great in, in, their, in their respect. You know, Jackie uh, being the right tackle, Irv being on the left. Irv's position actually, in, in essence, during our time, probably was the hardest position there was. And I, I don't think he gets the acclaim that he should get because – 
Jim Everett didn't hit the sack. He he wasn't sacked as much as people think. You know, they they talk about the San Francisco game or maybe a couple of times against New Orleans, but you know, Jim was able to lead the league a couple of those years in in, in attempts and yards. You know, Flipper set set an NFL uh, receiving uh, yardage for one game yep. during the, the, those those eighty eight and eighty nine years. So, Pink and Jackie Slater you know, go hand in hand when you start talking about pass protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you start talking about guards, you're talking about guys with the strength. Yeah. The, the, the guard center tandem right there is the power of the offense. And, you know, the, the tackles are the protection, you know, if you really look at it. But they can be great drive blockers as well. But guards and centers, that's what they're doing. They're, they're drive blocking pretty much all the time, except for when, they're, of course, they're, they're dropping back to pass. And even then, you know, you got they're, they're you know they they tanned them off on guys where Jack's typically one on one, the best rusher versus the best outside line, you know, the best outside linebacker versus the best tackle on the right and on the left, and you know I, I'm telling you both of those guys did a, a tremendous job. Pinky was more of a I, I would probably tell you a, a, a finesse versus. Uh, Jackie was just pure strength where, you know, he got guys that always tried to bull run him. And, you know, you get guys like Reggie White who's going to be lined up over Jackie or inside of Jackie, you know. Uh, And then on the other side, you got guys like, you know, Joyner or uh, who was one of the other guys or like LT that's going to be over top of Pink. Sure. And, you know, I tell people one of the things I I enjoy whenever I see guys, you know, we didn't win a, a, a world championship. But we split a lot of games with the 49ers, and we never, never my, – my two years with the Rams, we never lost to the Giants. We beat them in New York twice. Uh, I grew up a Rams fan in New Jersey, so 1989 NFC Divisional Playoff game. Uh, I'm watching on my television. You're watching uh, from uh, behind center uh, when Everett oh, tosses yeah. that um, – game-winning touchdown uh, to Flipper Anderson. What did it look like from your standpoint? Well, I mean, for mine, of course, you know, I'm, I'm getting the chance to, to see it from, from – I'm the last line of defense. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm behind Everett. I'm, I'm the one man behind him that makes the little fake. So I'm making a fake. And, you know, I think when you start talking about a play-action pass like we ran, everything has to be right. And – my fake has to be enough to draw the linebackers in. The lineman's forward step and then back step has to be it, – it, it, it gave every intention of looking like a run play. And, you know, to, to, to see and, and, you know, Lawrence always talks. He still talks. I, I was just with Lawrence about uh, a week about, – about a month ago. We do a better – it's called Athletes for Vets golf tournament up in Pebble Beach. We're up there for a week. And, you know – it's, it's funny how oh, oh, all these years passed. We don't do as much talking about that matchup as they do <laughs> talking about the fact that they won Super Bowls. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny. You know, I, I know a lot of guys from Buffalo. You know, people talk about the fact, you know, are you sad you got traded away from Buffalo? I was like, no. I went. I, I actually got to play in the NFC and AFC championships three times before Buffalo ever went to the Super Bowl. Yep. You know, when I first got to the Rams, the next year after being with the Rams in '88, we were we were headed back into the uh, NFC Championship. You know, we we ended up losing to on Christmas Day, I want to think, to Minnesota Vikings. Yep. And then the Vikings went on and lost to the 49ers. But 
is one of the things we were we were so competitive, man. We had we those two years at eighty eight and eighty nine, the Rams, you know, I, I tell people outside of the world championship team, that probably was one of the most potent set of teams we've ever had from an all around team basis. You know, they had years where, you know, yes, Eric ran for two thousand yards. That you know, that's a great accomplishment. But when you start talking about the total team output, I don't know if the Rams ever had a more potent offense and defense yeah then those 88 89 teams even I, I don't even think defensively they was a strong the year they actually won the super bowl uh, because i mean going into the super bowl the titans were favored you know yeah so, what do you think 88 or 89 I mean, which is a better team 88 maybe has a stronger defense 89 a stronger offense what what was the feeling on the team was it a similar kind of feeling the 89 team was the better team. Okay. Yeah, that's all I can tell you. The yeah. 89 team was the better team. I, I don't know what our record – what was our record in 89? Was it 12-4? Uh, and four? I think 11-5. They were 11-5. And yeah. the, other, the, the year in 88, what were we? 10-6. Uh, and six. So we were 10-6. and six. So, yeah, the 89 team, man, I tell people right now, if that 89 team – if John Shaw and John Robinson would have just sucked it up signed everybody properly and, and let that team stay in as it was. We only needed maybe two two units, maybe a new defensive tackle because Doug Reed was retiring. Sure. Uh, we probably needed – I mean, they kind of pushed Johnny Johnson into retirement, but, you know, we could have used a, a, a bigger a bigger play cornerback because you remember that year – we beat the 49ers in in San Francisco early in the year and yeah. they came down to Anaheim and outside of three plays yeah two of them were two spot passes against Daryl Henley that went for 90 yards each you take those that those just those two plays there we were beating we were physically beating the 49ers yeah, so yeah. we had a more physically dominating team in 89 and you know, it just got away from us in the playoffs, you know. I, and I think no matter how you look at it, we were tired. Come the, When we went up to San Francisco to play that third road game yeah. in the playoffs, we, I mean, we it was actually our fourth playoff road game the way we looked at it because we had to go all the way to New England in the freezing cold, and we had to beat them just to make the playoffs. Interesting. And so we go up there, we beat them in New England, come back, beat Philly, come back, beat the Giants, go up to San Francisco. That's a tired team, man. We we did a lot of traveling. We did a lot of, uh, you know, it was a lot of cross-country traveling. And, and the worst part about it is we played on Sunday, Saturday, Saturday, and then they wanted us to play again on Sunday. That, that's a hard thing to do by anybody's stretch. Do you remember the feeling going into that game? Were you guys optimistic, pessimistic? Oh yeah, you, you, most people tend to forget. In the end of the first quarter, I think that score was like ten to three or something like that. Yeah, we were beating the Forty ers the end of that first quarter, and we were running the ball on them pretty strong. I think I carried the ball for about forty something yards on like seven or eight carries, and I finished the game with those seven, you know, like seven or eight carries. Yeah, goodness. we just stopped running. I mean. The game kind of got away from, I hate to say it, from John Robinson and from Ernie Zampezi, and they just threw every pass the rest of the game. I, I think we might have run the ball two times from the second, two or three times from the second quarter to the end of the game. 
they just they 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 just started throwing the ball for whatever the reason. They just started launching it. I don't know what really occurred yeah. in the press box, but they just let that game get away from us. Sheesh. Yeah, it's a sad one because, and then the 49ers go on to you know uh, win the Super Bowl uh, against the Broncos. I think they destroyed yeah. the Broncos um, Super Bowl. Yeah, we would have destroyed the Broncos too. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You mentioned um, those were the two best teams. Yeah, two. It's unlucky you have the the best team in your own division, but that's happened a lot to the Rams in, in the Rams history. A lot, yeah, a lot. It's a shame. You went to you end up going to Notre Dame. Um, two of your teammates um, uh, that you you play with there, Stacy Turan, uh, he has an impact on the rest <laughs> of your life. Um, and I know Dave yeah. Dewerson. I think you you had a uh, 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 you, were, uh-huh. you were pals with Dave Dewerson. Dave was like my big brother. Oh my yeah, goodness! Dave was like my big brother. He was my host. Uh, like I said, he was like a big brother. I never had any brothers in my life, so my Notre Dame brothers became my brothers. Uh, John Altry, John Mosley, uh, Stacy Turan. Um, a lot of us were high school All Americans. We we knew each other from high school. You know, when you live in Indiana and Ohio, it's very hard not to know the guy in the next state from you. Mm-hmm. But you heard their names every, all the time. And, you know, uh, Dave was my host when I came to Notre Dame. He was kind of like a big brother to me to, to see him uh, and, and to, 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 to see the fate that came to him. You know, it's truly unfortunate, you know, truly unfortunate. And, and, and I, you know, I, I can't, you know, Stace, of course, was basically my kindred spirit, you know. Uh, we came out the same year. We lived together uh, in Marina Del Rey when I kept, when I got traded here. Of course, you know he's going to open up his house to me because that's what we did. Wow. You know, uh, that's how we were. And so I lived with him for a short period of time before I moved my family out here. And uh, to lose both of them, just you know, it's devastating. It breaks my heart. Uh, you know, it's just it's a it's one of those holes that I won't be able to fill in in my life that two guys that were truly special to me uh, are no longer here. And, you know, I, I hate to say it this way, but it could have been avoided. You know, yeah. Stacy's, you know, was a drunk driving accident. And, 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 you know, I don't even want to talk about what, uh, what, what Dave's was because yeah. so much goes into it. You know, what he was suffering through with his CTE, because I mean, I've, I've talked to, you know, I'm, I'm sure you remember Mel Owens, of course, you know, yeah. I, Mel Mel was actually Dave's uh, attorney who was actually filing the lawsuit against the NFL for his CTE at that time. Wow. Dave was due to be in Mel's office three days before, I mean, three days after he killed himself yeah. after that date, three days he was scheduled to be in Mel's office to go through a deposition. So that just tells you, you know, as Mel told me, cause I had to ask Mel, you know, what was going on? Mel said, Greg, this guy was suffering. You don't know the magnitude that what he was suffering and the, and the things he was losing. Terrible, terrible. And and how did these yeah. uh, two relationships uh, impact your journey, particularly? I mean, could you talk a little bit about your foundation? You know, because of the, the loss of space, because of the reason how he lost his life, yeah. it made me start Athletes for Life up immediately. Yeah. You know, and I, and I thank Governor Cuomo, who's no longer with us today, uh, for sending my team, that, which was his team, to help me start Athletes for Life out here and, and introducing me to, to Nancy Reagan, to, to uh, Sherman Block, uh, the former sheriff for L.A. County, because they all had programs that were talking about Just Say No. 
and I was able to kind of work with a lot of different programs, speak on behalf of both of their programs as well. And, you know, that's something I've been a big, a big advocate for. I've never drank, I've never smoked uh, or done drugs. And so I'm comfortable. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, parents, I'm, I'm comfortable saying to you that you're never going to hear about me doing these two things because I've never done them. And I'm, and I doubt at 55 years old now, you know, I'm 54, be 55 this year. I doubt if I'm all of a sudden start drinking and smoking and doing drugs, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, when I, when I'm in front of your kids talking to them, I'm telling, I'm showing them, I'm giving them a roadmap. You really. got some serious That's street really cred what... too. If you, if you hung out with Rick James and Mike Tyson in the eighties, and you, I know and you stayed, and the, that's some serious street and didn't cred. Do, didn't do a thing. Yeah. And, and when, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I helped Rick through one of his rehab situations, uh, both spiritually and financially, but it was one of those things where, um, you know, I think that's why he wanted me around, you know? Yeah. You, you don't, when, when you're an addict, you, you truly have to have people who don't do who don't depend on things. And he knew that having me around, I wasn't somebody who was always going to say yes to whatever he said, because that's, you know, he had a lot of yes, ma'ams and yes, sirs around him. And he always, when he had me around him, he saw somebody would be like, you know, F you, you know, hell no, you know, I ain't doing that. And he needed more of that around him than people who always said, yes, sure. And so, you know, it's just, it's just the difference. You know, that's like, just like with, you know, with Jim. A lot of those guys came around Jim because Jim told them how it really was. Jim don't sugarcoat anything. You know, if he, if he don't like something about you, he ain't worried about you. He'll tell you right to your face. I don't like you, you know. And that, that that's an eye-waking experience, especially for people in Hollywood, big-time entertainers, that for all their life, they're always, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you know. They're always expecting to hear yes. Sure. And so for me to always, you know, be around periodically, it was always a no. You know, we ain't doing that. Or, no, nah, I ain't going there. You know? It, I wasn't fascinated by it. I wasn't enamored by it. Because, honestly, you think about 88 and 89, among, along with the Lakers, the Rams were the – we were the two top favorite celebrities in town. I mean, everybody knew when the Rams – came into a club or or were hosting a party or something. The same with the Lakers, you know. I don't know if you played with him um, or got to know him, but Marion Knight uh, overlaps with you a little bit. Marion Knight, that name doesn't ring a bell. What if I uh, called him Suge Knight? <laughs> you know, he should, yeah, Suge did overlap, you know. It's funny because, you know, he wanted to, you know, he he thought he could play at a defensive tackle position. He had the size, but, you know, he didn't really have the tool. Um, you know, I remember him more just, you know, because of death row. And, you know, I, believe it or not, I sat in front of him and Tupac the night of the shooting. What? <laughs> I had my, my ex-wife and I, I used to broadcast in Las Vegas. I had a radio show called Let's Talk Football. So I was always in Vegas. You know, I had a show, a, a national radio show, 300 syndicated markets out of Vegas that I used to do every Sunday. And so Saturday, you know, was the fight. 
And we were there. I introduced her to Suge. I introduced her to uh, Tupac. Uh, and it was just one of those occasions. You know, I, I've been around. I mean, you, you got to remember, we, we live in the Mecca for entertainment, which is L.A. So going to Vegas was like a flip of a switch. You know, we were there all the time. I, we spent a lot of time in Vegas. I love boxing. You know, I love boxing. You know, I, I mean, probably the most influential person in my life, of course, like a lot of people, is having the chance to talk and get to know Muhammad Ali. You know, when I met him when I was in Buffalo. And and, and it's amazing, you know, even though he had Parkinson's, when I came out to L.A. and we were like co- uh, I, I did the L.A. Marathon with him uh, as co-starters mm-hmm. uh, back in 88. And he saw me, and as soon as he saw me, he's like, Greg, come over here and meet my family. He knew who I was, and, and, and he, I tell people the biggest joy in my life was having Muhammad Ali come up from behind me and say, man, you killed me. And I was like, what I do? He said, you killed my cowboys. You, you set a record <laughs> on my cowboys. You know, you know and, and anytime he saw me, he would say, hey, Greg, come over here and talk to me for a minute. You know, you, you, you just don't get that from everybody, you know. But hold He's on, kind of when you that a lot of kids when you introduced your ex-wife to Suge at at the awards show, did he remember you, he remembered you from the Rams days? Was he cool to you? Oh yeah, cuz I saw him I saw him around LA now and then, you know. I saw him around LA now and then. I mean, he might be over at Ron's place. You know, Ron used uh RB Ron Brown used to have the exotic car shop. So Suge bought a lot of cars from RB back in the day. Uh so I'd see him over at the car shop. Uh, or, you know, when I, when I introduced him, he just say, what's up GB. And I just say, hey, Suge, how you doing? And I said, I want to introduce my wife to Tupac. Cause that's who she wanted to meet. She didn't want to meet Suge. Everybody wanted to meet Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's one of those kind of, you know, I, it's funny because I was there, you know, I was there when, when the guns went off and everybody hit the floor, you know, I was the host. People don't know all the craziness. It wasn't just a shooting of Suge. But you know the, the the you know MGM got hit for probably a half million to a million dollars off of the table. Whoa. You know it, it was just a lot of craziness that was going on that night. But that's Las Vegas, man. Anything that happens happens in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, you remember how did Suge react to all that? Do you remember? You know, no, well, I mean, you gotta remember. I I, I made the introduction before the fights. After the fight, everybody kind of went on their way. Got it. Got you know, and then you had the stuff going on in the casino. Uh, I know we were, you know, they, everybody was headed over to that party because that was, you know, Tupac's party was going to be the after party. And to see it, you know, to see the Vegas shut down the way Vegas shut down is pretty amazing. Uh, and it's sad at the same time because, you know, nobody's been been found guilty for the murder. 87, 89, we, we talked about how... Uh, the organization undermined uh, the success of that run, perhaps. Um, and you had direct uh, experience negotiating with John Shaw, Georgia Frontieri's uh, <laughs> money man. What what was their yeah. pro- what was their problem <laughs> exactly? Like why he just he, he, he you know what I hate to say it, but John John was a very very shrewd negotiator he set a price in his mind and he won't go over that price and that was it it didn't have anything to do with need what georgia was going to make john just did not want to pay a player a million dollars i mean that's just the honest point about it i mean he gave everett his because quarterbacks were 
were, were put in that level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But Eric was making what? Seven fifty, eight hundred, And all he wanted was a million dollars a year, I think, if I remember it right. He wanted a four-year, $4 million deal. And John said, no, I'm not paying you a million dollars. And then when other running backs, you know, when Eric got his, Marcus got his, Gerald Riggs got his, I was ten. I was probably, you know, if you look at it for all intent and purposes, after '88, I was in the top five running backs in the league. You know, in yards, touchdowns, productivity. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't. He refused to pay me the number five money. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Even, it wasn't even a question of what I should have made. It's what he wanted to pay, and he just said, "No, I'm not going to pay it." And that's why I set out, you know, those two, you know, people tend to forget. I didn't participate in, I never participated in a Rams training camp. Wow. Always holding out. I was always holding out. Always holding out. I was always holding out because I didn't have a contract. And I'm like, why take, if if this is the money I'm going to end up taking, why should I take the punishment during, during the summer? Good for you. So I just would sit out the whole, you know, one of the things I was was a workout guy. So John never worried about me working out. I was a workout guy. So if me and John saw each other today, we would get along well. Because I I understood at the end of the day, it was never personal. It was always about business. And in business, the less you can pay, the more you make, Right. Well, and he was just doing he was doing his job to the best of his ability for Georgia. And at the same time, I was trying to do the same thing. I guess but players, it seems like his ego was getting in the way. No, I don't think it ever had anything to do with John's ego because John never wanted to be in front of the light. He never came in front of the camera. Jay Zygmunt would do that. Yeah. John never, you know, John, you know, John always got the bad, uh, got all the bad news. But, you know, Jay did a lot of negotiation, not John. John, you know, people, I mean, me and Jay don't really, and Jay's a Notre Dame guy. And I don't have much to say about Jay Zygmunt because I knew Jay was trying to keep me behind. And John was just saying, okay, you do the deal. The Rams are back in L.A. Um, how How is the organization, and you're, you live in L.A., um, how has the organization been uh, to some of its former players, are you enjoying them um, back in 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 their former home? Of course, I'm. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't help when you go without football for twenty plus years, uh, twenty and a half years. Having the Rams back was a, a true blessing. The product isn't quite there yet, but that can be that can be improved uh, in terms of the management and the team. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't have as much interaction with them as I do. You know, they have a legends community uh, director, as they call it now, with the National Football League. I deal with Kyle a little bit more than I. You know, I don't really know Cronky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't know Dimoff. I've had good conversations with Les Snead, who seems like a nice kid. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, but you know those are the guys that you know their butts are on the on the on the fire right now. You know Les and 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 them all they got to put they've got to bring the pieces of the puzzle to the Rams. And we've got uh, an Ohio guy as our new head coach. Yeah, Sean McGrath. I was going to say I don't know Sean very well. Don't know much about him. I do know. I want to say it's his grandfather. I guess uh, Jim McVay. Uh, 
that used to be in the league years ago when I was in the league. Um, I don't know him. I don't know much about him. I do wish him the best uh, because I want this team to do well. You know, they, 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 he's got to, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to make a change, a positive change for this team immediately because, unlike when the Rams and the Raiders were in Los Angeles, they had their fan bases that were already there. You know what I'm saying? But you got a, an entire generation, 20 years of that have no loyalty to either team. And they're searching for somebody right now to become a fan base of. Will it be the Chargers? Will it be the Rams? And that's why I say the Rams right now really have to get out to the community, market themselves to the community, and the team's got to put a product on the field that basically competes at a high level because you got millennials and Generation X that don't have any roots in any team. And whichever team jumps out, the gate the best and the fastest and the most efficient is going to be grabbing a whole, really two generations, the, the generation X and the millennials. It's going to grab both of them. My generation, you know, those people are, are loyal Ram fans. They're going to stay Ram fans, but their kids have no alliance to either, either one. So, you know, Sean's got a big job ahead of him and, you know, hopefully he's got the fortitude, the aptitude, and really he's got thick enough skin to deal with Los Angeles because he's going to get, you know, he's going to get it from every angle. Well, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us on The Greatest Show on Grass, uh, Mr. Bell. If, you, if you're not going to, you have one, one last chance to tell us about your night out in the Hollywood town with uh, Rick James <laughs> and Mike Tyson. No. Uh, you know what? I tell people. Sometimes stories are meant to be thought about, not to be heard. Okay. <laughs> I'll let you think about it. I, I'm more happy to the fact that, you know, I've got a foundation that's been here in Southern California now sure. 27 years going on. Sure, September sure, sure, will be 27 sure. years mentoring kids and seeing them going on to getting college degrees and becoming productive citizens. And that's what's most important. To of us. course. We're, we're extremely excited about that, but we'd still like to know about that night. Anyway, um, thank you very much. We will uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for joining us, uh, Mr. Bell. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass. This episode was produced by Brian Kennedy, Andrew Steven, and me, Joshua Newman. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and then review it on iTunes and recommend it to the Rams fans in your lives, whether they've been rooting for the team for 30 years or one year. <laughs>